Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. At least well enough to be back in the house of the Lord. Amen. This morning, our objective is as some come, others don't go. (laughs) We don't want a replacement. We want everybody. We just want everybody back. Amen. So glad that some of you are feeling better. Amen. And hopefully uh, you're not signing up for round two or round three or I don't think anybody intends to do that. It just happens sometimes. Amen. Just as a reminder, uh, tomorrow, starting tomorrow is prayer revival and media fast. Amen. This coming week at the church, Monday through Friday, prayer revival, media fast. The church will be open each night from seven to eight. Amen. For collective prayer here at the church, there will be a a theme or a focus uh, each night that will be denoted in the foyer as you come in. What our focus is that night, what we are praying for and concerning and about. Amen. That continues with our Wednesday night or Wednesday night will be prayer. Amen. Here at the church. So please, uh, if you are normally here on a Wednesday, come still yet on Wednesday. Spend some time in prayer. It, it will, I, I tell you, it will not hurt. It won't hurt you. It really won't. You have nothing to lose in, in doing that. Uh, come on Wednesday and pray. Friday night, that Friday night after a prayer has ended at 8 o'clock, from 8 o'clock to however late we wish, we're going to have family game night in the back. Asking those that come and participate in that, just bring some some type of little finger food or such to share. Uh, just bring, uh, uh, you know, just snack food. It don't have to be a, a 12-ounce steak unless you want to bring that for your pastor. And <laughs> No, just, just finger food to share uh, with one another. We'll have a good time. Amen of fellowship. Also, uh, Brother Pat's uh, dad's service is going to be on that Friday as well. Uh, visitation is 1 to 3 at the Allendale Ingram Funeral Home, and the service is at 3 o'clock with burial there in Allendale uh, Cemetery as well. So uh, please be remembering Brother Pat and his family. Amen on that far Friday. And if you have ability in your schedule to just pay some respects, please do so. Amen. And we appreciate that as well. Amen. Know you've been standing. Turn, if you will, to Acts, if you're not already there, too. Has anyone ever heard of a 529 plan? Yeah, 529 plan. You ever seen ad? I guess not. Ever seen ads for a 529 plan? Maybe some of you that don't have children never seen it. 529 plan is a college savings plan uh, that's sponsored by the state or a state agency. It's named 529 because of the section 529 of the Internal Revenue Service uh, made that those type of savings uh, provisional uh, for parents and for children. Back in 19, they, they made it provisional the, the, the year I graduated, so I didn't get any of it. My parents didn't save for it. <laughs> Amen. Didn't even have it into existence. Amen. Well, with that being said, for the next uh, three weeks, I'd like to share with you the 238 plan. The 238 plan. It is a savings plan as well. It's a life savings plan that is sponsored by God through Jesus Christ by Calvary. And so I want to share that with you over the next three weeks. I've named it uh, 238 plan after the book of Acts chapter 3 and verse 38 of the word of God. If you in turn to Acts 2, 238, yes. If you can go to Acts chapter number 2 and verse number 37, though, I would like to start there, 37 and 38. Amen this morning. Again, this is a start of a new year. It's good to uh, reacquaint ourselves and familiarize ourselves Amen. Even with those things of repentance, baptism, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. While some may be veterans concerning that, we have others that are just entered into basic training. Amen. Of those things. And so we want to familiarize ourselves again. Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Many of you could probably quote this. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. 
Amen this morning. So this morning, my series is the 238 plan. My subject matter is repentance this morning. Amen. Let's talk to God right now that he would help us. Father, I love you today. God, I appreciate, Lord Jesus, your presence and your power. God, that we can witness and feel, Lord, in this house this morning. I pray, oh God, that every life, God and mine, be stayed upon you in the next little while, Lord, as we once again look at this concept and idea, Lord, of repentance and practice of repentance. God, we just... Lord, give of ourselves, Lord, unto you. Lord, touch somebody today. Lord, you're able to bring conviction, Lord, into this place. Lord, perhaps upon a heart, God, that they would, Lord, begin, Lord, that turn, Lord, in their walk, Lord Jesus of life. God, and will not fail to thank you for it. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen and amen. The church say amen. You may be seated this morning in Jesus' name. Repentance is a subject matter for today. Amen. The, 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 the venue in which we're looking at repentance this morning is that initial repentance that one comes to and practices in their uh, start of relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, we know that repentance never, never becomes not a part of our life in our Christian walk, but this morning, particularly, we're looking at that that, that first step, if you will, in the 238 plan or the salvation plan. Sunday school teacher had asked the class that she was teaching what the word repentance meant. Having boys and girls of a different span of ages before her, you could only imagine the hands that went up in the air. That's the way it is when you're children. Whenever you ask questions to children, hands are going up. You start asking questions whenever we get into adulthood and you can barely get a hand up. And so they're so eager to share. I mean, if you were, if you were to ask kids, you know, who can sing, probably almost every hand's going to go up. Can you play an instrument? They're going to say, yeah. yeah. I mean, and then whenever you get in adulthood, even if they can sing or play, they're like, can you anybody sing? They're like, well, you know, it's all right. I don't know what happens between childhood and adulthood, but something happens. <laughs> Nevertheless, a little hand went up, a little boy put up his hand, and he said, Repentance, it, it's being sorry for your sins. Not long after that, though, another little girl had her hand up, just blurted out. She says, yeah, she says, it's being sorry enough to quit. <laughs> and that really encompasses some very, very good uh, ideas and concept concerning repentance. Because many equate repentance with just being sorry. Say repentance is just being sorry or repentance is just uh, when someone apologizes to God. And, and if they can somehow link that with some tears and some degree of sorrow, then, then that is repentance. But in reality today, folks, according to the word of God, true repentance is none of those things. They may accompany repentance. They may walk alongside and join in with repentance, but they must not be used solely as indicators that someone has repented. Just because someone cried doesn't necessarily mean that they repented. The Bible even says in the New Testament Scripture that Esau, he, he sought repentance with tears, but he never found it. So tears alone and of themselves are not necessarily indications of repentance. I, if I can just use the illustration just of the purity and the innocence of our children, I've seen my kids cry whenever they weren't sorry, but they were just sorry they got caught. I start walking to the room and son, they start saying, oh, I'm sorry, dad, I'm sorry. Tears start flowing. You know why? Because they understand a consequence of what they have done is on the verge of happening. And what they're trying to do is really to get out of receiving the consequence. And they really are not anyway concerned, sorry, about exactly what they've done. As a matter of fact, they probably continue doing what they could do, continue to do what they were doing if they knew they could get by with it without a consequence. Amen. I hear some parents saying, it's right. My God, let's just talk about our kids. Now. Amen. That's true, but we're the children of God. We're the children of God. That, 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 that relationship of child and parent is seen throughout Scripture as us being the children of God. And so we can't just take tears as necessarily indicators of repentance. Repentance is, means this, to think differently. To think 
afterwards, as it's defined here in Acts 2, 38. It originally meant an afterthought, a second thought that somehow was given reconsideration to the first thought. Has anybody ever had an afterthought? Hmm. <laughs> you said something and then later you thought about it. Like, eh. Or you did or didn't do something that day and afterthought when you laid down, you know, I should have done that or maybe, maybe I shouldn't have done that and did something. You know, the afterthought, you're giving consideration to what you said, what you did, or even maybe perhaps what you thought. Repentance is a change of mind. Amen. And many times, and I'm going to talk about the New Testament here for a little bit. Many times in the New Testament, it's a change of mind. And that change of mind, that afterthought, is a person, they, they have regret for maybe something they have done. A regret for what the Bible may say is a sin or regret for a sin that they have committed. And as a result of that, what, what, what flows when you have a change of mind or a change of thought, that influences and affects then your actions. You know, if you think about what you've done, you think, you know what, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Then what that does for you is if the opportunity at the setting is there again, you will then not only think but act differently, approach it differently than what you did the first time. Amen. But it's important to denote. It's important because repentance isn't just regret for sins, though that may be a part of it. It isn't just that. Peter in Acts 2 had had just finished, as we have looked out in our Acts series, had just finished preaching a very tremendous, tremendous sermon about the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In doing so, as he and many of the disciples often did when he, they preached and taught to the people, he, they always brought to the, the people to a place of revelation or to a place of ownership that the Jesus or the Messiah that they were looking for is the very Jesus that they crucified. And whenever they would bring the people to that, that place of identity, that place of ownership, and they understood then that they were participants in taking, participants in crucifying their Messiah, when they realized that, then they would have a second thought. They would have an afterthought thinking about what they did and if that was their Messiah, perhaps we should not have done that. And so they're left then with this quandary whenever they realize that they have crucified their Messiah and God raised him up. They're left with this quandary of feeling responsible for that. They're thinking differently about what they should have done and about their actions. They have this after a thought. And so they know what they've done. Now they want to know what can we do? Because we can't unring that bell. They, they, they couldn't go back and uncrucify the Lord Jesus Christ. So they want to know what, what shall we do. And God made a provision through repentance that though you can't go back and undo what's done, you can live differently from this point forward. And so that is the overarching understanding for anybody that's here today. There is no way, no way that we can go back and undo what you have done in your life. We can't go back and we cannot undrink the alcohol. We cannot undo the, 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 the bed of infidelity. We can't go back and undo that. But you have a provision for you today through repentance that when you have a second thought, an afterthought concerning what you did do, God makes a provision that you're going to think about it differently and therefore approach it differently. And you don't have to go back then to the bottle. You don't have to go back to the bed of infidelity. You don't have to go back to lying. You don't have to go back to cheating. Amen. Someone say amen. Amen. Because see, whenever they had this afterthought, no doubt they experienced regret. We have taken into our hands the life of our Messiah. Amen. But you know, although they were dealing with that regret, this is interesting. This, this denotes that there is definitely a difference between just regret and repentance. Although they were feeling that or they wouldn't have asked the question, what shall we do? They were feeling that regret. We could call it guilt, shame, amen. And those aren't necessarily bad things, amen. We we can get those alleviated through through the Lord, but they're not necessarily bad things. It's whenever they did that and they posed the question to Peter. Notice though that Peter's admonition to them was then still 
repent. So that tells me that regret isn't repentance in and of itself because Peter still told them, here's what you need to do. If you want to get out from under the guilt and the shame, I, I, I believe today that there are people that walk through life, walk through life, maybe even here this morning, that are constantly just toiling with feelings of regret, constantly just toiling with feelings of shame and guilt because they had an afterthought, a second thought, but you've never went on to this full realm of repentance. And so you're constantly carrying around something that was never meant for you to carry for the rest of your life. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. And so Peter says, Here, here's what you need to do. You need to repent because it's more, than just a, it's more than just realizing what was done. It's more than just feeling bad about what was done. But it's now living life different from what you once lived. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 7, in verse number 9, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. He says, Now I rejoice. Not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. Now, let's understand the reason why the Apostle Paul is bringing this up. He is talking to them. You can read it in verses 7 and 8 prior to these verses. The Apostle Paul is writing to them because he has written a letter to them already. Uh, probably more than likely he's referring to 1 Corinthians, the first letter that he wrote to the Corinthian church. And he tells them, I wrote a letter to you, and whenever I wrote this letter to you, I realized that it may, may have made you to feel sorry. I realized the first words I had in my first letter may have made you feel regretful or shameful. I realized that may have been the case whenever I wrote my first letter to you because when I wrote my first letter to you, uh, it was addressing some issues and problems that the Corinthian church had. You can read the first chapter of 1 Corinthians chapter number 1 and we come to understand that Paul wrote that because there were many contentions there are many contentions among the Corinthian believers. And so whenever he wrote to them, he was reproving them. He was rebuking them concerning these contentions and divisions that were, they were having among them. So he says, I know that when you read that, that might have cut in a little close and you felt a little sorry and regretful, amen, for those things. He tells us, though, in verse number 8, you can look at it. He says, but I do not repent, though I did Repent. Now, this is a different word than, than Acts 2.38 in the Greek. It means to care afterwards. Paul says, I do not care afterwards, though I did. In other words, he said, after I sent the letter, have you ever done it? He said, I kind of molded over my, should I done that or should I not done it? Yeah. Huh? Right? right? Sh should I, you know, sh should I have been that strong with him or should I not been? Paul says, well, whenever I first sent it, he said, I kind of cared about what I sent. He said, but as I stand here today, he says, no, I, I'm, I feel good. I feel good about what I wrote. I feel good what I sent to you. So I mulled this over my mind. But as it stands today, I have no regret for writing what I wrote to you because I understand what it did for you all. It caused you all to have an afterthought. It caused you all to consider what you've done. And so as a matter of fact, when he starts then in verse number 9, he says now, he says, I rejoice. He said, I'm not rejoicing because you all feel bad. I'm not rejoicing because you feel guilty and you feel shameful, but I rejoice because my letter has caused you to think about what you've done. My letter made you think about what you have done, and I'm so glad, I'm glad, not because your regret, amen, was there and your burden of guilt was there, but because that guilt and that regret you allowed to move you to, to a change of mind that resulted in you all acting better toward one another. In other words, that moved you to repentance. Yes. Amen. Let me tell you something today, folks. There are times when there's things in this word. There's times whenever I go away, amen, and I preach some sermons, and I'm like, Paul, I'm thinking about should I have I <laughs> or should have I not? 
And in the moment, I'm thinking, ah, I, I care. And then later, I think, no, I'm sure. And the reason being, sometimes things go forth from this pulpit. God's word sometimes in and of itself seems to be sharp. Just his word, you can read it, and it starts to point out things in our lives if you allow yourself to be open to it. But what's going on is something's happening. It's causing us to reconsider. It's causing us to think differently about what we've already done or what we've said or our actions. But if that pushes us to a place, if that pushes us to a place that says, you know what? That's what I did today, but tomorrow. Someone, tomorrow I'm going to change my mind that's going to influence and change my behavior. Then Paul says, I rejoice in that. I can't tell you every time I leave this place, I'm happy about everything I've said. But if it makes an effect and a change on somebody that was on the peripheral of the church, then glory be to God. Amen. That a lie through repentance has been Altered. Someone say amen. amen. Now, he says, now y'all were sorry, but look, you were made sorry. But again, being sorry or experiencing sorrow is not the same as repentance. Amen. Paul even distinguished the two. He says, you were sorry. Look at verse 9. You, you were made sorry. You, you were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed. But then he says, to repentance. To repentance. So sorrow and repentance are not the same thing, but sorrow did kind of give the little nudge to repentance. Two different things. In the Old Testament book of, of Ruth, in the Old Testament book of Ruth, after her sons died and her husband has died, she's going to go back to Bethlehem of Judea. And her, daughter, her daughters-in-law are there. They pledge that they're going to go back with their mother-in-law, leave their family, leave their pagan gods, right? And Ruth says, no, I she, she was already convinced that she knew she wasn't going to get 100% go. <laughs> she knew it. And the Bible says, as the story goes on in here in the book of Ruth, that both Ruth and her sister Orpha, both of them wept. Both of them lifted up their voice and cried out. But at the end of the day, Orpah stayed with her family, stayed serving her gods, stayed going her way. But Ruth, here's the difference, turned. Ruth turned from her family, from those pagan gods, toward Bethlehem Judah, toward the one true God. There's a difference in being sorrowful and sorry because both parties wept, but also repenting, turning from what used to be and turning toward what shall be. Someone say amen. Now Paul tells him, he tells him, if you look at verse 9, the last phrase there, he says, he said, what I, what I said, he said it didn't injure them. Notice he says, that ye might receive damage of us in nothing. He said, what we said to you didn't injure you. It benefited you. Now, I do say that probably repentance sometimes is started out by somebody getting their feelings hurt. From what I say from the pulpit. But if you allow it, it was not meant to injure you. It's meant to benefit you. Now, these people had felt conviction. They no doubt felt conviction about what they had done. Mm -hmm. And ultimately that they had been the ones that did it, right? Because it's easy whenever we're preaching something that that doesn't necessarily apply to us. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Man, we fly by good. You talk about that as long as you want, Pastor. That doesn't apply to me. But, honey, when it does apply to you, you start looking down at your phone and seeing if everything that you put in your purse is still there. Make sure your skirt's straight and your coat's where it's at. You know, I think Johnny needs to go to the bathroom, so you take him. And yeah. <laughs> oh, glory. Yes. Amen. And it gets a little uncomfortable, but he says, I didn't do it to injure him, but to benefit them. He says, but these folks were sorry after a godly manner. And what happens when you're sorry after a godly manner is that you realize that your actions... On the surface, even if they have been against man or seemingly hurtful to yourself, what you come to realize is that they have been really, though, in discord against your God. 
sorrow after a godly manner is realizing this may be what it is on the surface, but on the higher plane, this has been toward God. This is not something that God loves. This is not something that God is pleased with. David in Psalms 51 had this light bulb moment in his own walk and experience with the Lord. He is, he is repenting. He's crying out to God in Psalms 51 over his transgression, his sin with Bathsheba, which was adultery. And the Bible says in Psalms 51 and verse 3, David says, he says, for I acknowledge my transgressions. He says, my sin is ever before me. Now look at verse number four. This is sorrow and being sorry after a godly sort. He says, against thee. Who's he talking to? God. He says, against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Now, whenever David took Bathsheba, he surely was sinning against Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. Amen? Yeah. Whenever he committed adultery with her, yeah, that was a sin against her husband. Whenever he killed Uriah, that's pretty good sin against Uriah. Even when he sinned against Bathsheba in taking her into a bed of an adultery, etc. That was even a sin against Bathsheba. But David came to a place in his prayer of being sorrowful and regret and shame after a godly sort whenever he realized, you know what? This is more about me being against some man, Uriah. This is more than about me having defiled the life of a woman. This is about me that is going against the very God of the heavens. This is about me being in opposition to God. That's where the crux of our life really is, is what we do, what we say, how we live. Is it in, is it in controversy with God? I'm not, I'm not up here purporting my ideas. Well, it'll please the preacher if I do that. Praise God, I'm going to do it. I like him pretty well. And you know, I like to have a good relationship with him. So I'm going to do that because that please the preacher. You got it wrong. That's not godly sorrow. That's not after, well, I'm going to do it because my wife thinks I ought to do it. Bless God. And me and her, you know, we got to be, no, no offense. We got to be on the same page. And so me and my wife, we do it. Bless God. We're going to, no, no, you got it all wrong. That's not where it's at. It's got to come to the place where you realize it doesn't really, it does, but it really doesn't matter if it's for this one or that one or if it's going to make this better in your human life. It's about making things right in a vertical sense between you and God. This hasn't been just an offense against man. This has been an offense against God. Amen. Hallelujah. So whenever David said that, he owned it. He said, against thee, God, against thee, God, I have sinned. Worldly sorrow, the Bible says, then, is just work of death. Because sorrow of the world is a sorrow, again, it's just for the feeling of the guilt, the feeling of the shame. A sorrow for just getting caught. William Barclay said it like this. He said, many a man is desperately sorry because of the mess that sin has got him into. But he very well knows that if he could be reasonably sure that he could escape the consequences, he would do the same thing again. It is not the sin that he hates, it's the consequences. Now, repentance isn't only a New Testament idea. It's found as well in the Old Testament. Repentance, for that matter, if we just be real, isn't only about turning from the bad to the good, although that's how we typically view it, particularly in the New Testament Scripture. But it very well may be turning from the good to the bad. It's just that idea of turning. Because whenever we read uh, in Proverbs 26 and 11, it speaks about how a dog returneth. That's the Hebrew word in the Old Testament for repent. As a dog turneth to his vomit. Well, that's not something good. That's something kind of gross, actually. But nevertheless, kind of bad. It's just that concept of turning. In the Old Testament, so repentance carries this idea of turning back or turning away. It meant to retreat. It was similar to a military term that meant an about face or a 180 degree turn, a change, if you will, in direction. Amen. Oftentimes in the Old Testament, the word repent 
may not be used in our English Bibles. In other words, what, it, what the word is used in the Hebrew may not be translated in our English Bibles as repent. As a matter of fact, all times it's, 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 it's translated in our English Bibles as turning or returning or turning away. Amen. In our English Bibles. For instance, Hosea 14 verses 1 and 2. Now what the scripture is talking about here is repentance. But it doesn't use that word. It says, O Israel, return. There you go. Unto the Lord thy God, for thou hast fallen by thine iniquity. Take with you words and turn to the Lord, saying to him, Take away all iniquity and receive us graciously, so will we render the calves of our lips. You don't, the word, well, I ain't talking about repentance. I don't see the word repentance. It is. In the Hebrew, the word for return and turn is talking about that about face. That turning around, that retreating. Malachi 3 and 7. The Bible says, even from the days of your fathers, ye are gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Look at the, 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 the declaration. Return unto me. And I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But he said, wherein shall we return? And so there's this idea of returning or turning. Amen. Throughout uh, the Old Testament scripture, uh, scholars say that this concept of turning or repenting, whenever it's used in the context with our covenant with God, was used 164 times in the Old Testament of men that's turning away from sin or turning to God. Amen. And the majority of them are found among the prophets, the major and the minor prophets. But a lot of them, the major of them, there's 113 of them that's in among the prophets, 48 of them are just in the book of Jeremiah. Just in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is constantly, you read his book, he's the weeping prophet because he is constantly trying to tell God's people you need to get back right with God. He's constantly trying to throw a mirror up in front of their face and say, this is who you are. You've transgressed against God. Heed the warning of the Lord. If you don't do something about this, God's going to come down. He's going to bring He's going to bring judgment. Amen. You need to make things right. And so he preached all those years. He Man, sometimes I just, I, I'm glad that he's in the Bible because he preaches his whole entire ministry ministry and and no one ever does anything no one ever turns he's pleading with the people to turn but they don't amen even gives them detailed information on how they can change their ways but they refuse and so jeremiah i love this because jeremiah basically takes the essence of repentance and shoves it all in one verse in jeremiah 18 and verse 11 he shoves repentance all in one verse look at it Jeremiah 18, 11. Now, therefore, go to, speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord. Of course, he's just saying what the Lord said. Behold, I frame evil against you and devise a device against you. Return ye now everyone from his evil way and make your ways and your doings good. That last phrase after that colon is repentance in a nutshell he's telling us what to do return he's telling us when to do it do it now he's telling who to do it everyone he's telling us from what you're evil to what good ways and doings make them good that is repentance in a nutshell. If you're, if you're asking questions this morning, Brother McGee, uh, if you're trying to start a relationship with God, what should I do? You need to return. You need to turn. Well, well, well Brother McGee, when should I do it? You need to do it this morning. Well, Brother McGee, who, who should do it? Every single one of you sitting out in front of me and on this platform, any other place in this house. Every one of us. Well, what do I need to do? You need to turn from your evil. Now, if you don't recognize you got evil, then we got God will provide the mirror for you. God will provide the mirror for you. Now, I know Jeremiah, he's talking to all of Judah, all the inhabitants of Jerusalem there, but he might as well have been talking to all of mankind and all of us this morning. Even Paul in Acts chapter 17 on Mars Hill, he spoke to them. He said, God winked at ignorance once. He said, but now he commandeth all men everywhere that covers a lot of ground when you start using words like that. All men everywhere to repent. In other words, there are no options to repentance. 
Mm-mm. No. Everyone, everywhere. Repent. Again, Scripture, different times in the New Testament, the ultimatum is this. Repent. Here's your options. You want options for repentance? Repent. Perish. <laughs> Not a lot of wiggle room there. <laughs> Not a lot of wiggle room. Repent. Perish. Now, here's the thing, folks. You haven't realized the evil. See, that's what Paul did through his preaching. The death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. Your Messiah, you all had. That Jesus was your Messiah. And see, the moment came. Oh, we got evil. We've done wrong. Well, how does that? God, God has a way of bringing us to repentance. And he all times does it by conviction. You will not find the word conviction in the King James Bible. You will not find it. You will not find the word conviction in the King James Bible. However, there are some Greek words in our King James Version of the Bible. There's Greek words in any Bible, for that matter, they're, they're from where they come from. The Greek words that mean conviction or convict. One such word is found in John 16 and verse 8. The Bible says, and when he has come, that's speaking of the Holy Ghost. It's speaking of the Spirit of God. When he has come, he will reprove. That word reprove there in the Greek language means convict. He will reprove or he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So although it's not in our English translation, it is there in, in the Greek language from which the Bible was translated from. When the Spirit of God comes, he will convict of sin. That's the reason why sometimes through preaching and the spirit gets moving, conviction can start falling. That's why even even through songs sometimes that are sung, nobody's even preached one word yet, but there's a message going forth in the song and the spirit of God has come down. And what does he start doing? Conviction. And what happens? Tears start streaming down faces. Some tears as a result of people are thinking about where they are compared to where they need to be. Conviction starts to happen. Amen. Look at this. Even the same word Paul used whenever he was speaking to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 and 2. He told Timothy, he said, Timothy, preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove. That's the word convict. That God by his spirit can come down and convict. But it's another important reason why God has his word relayed. Wednesday nights, Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, and if at all possible, we try to relay the word because when it is being relayed, conviction. Conviction can happen upon the hearts and the souls of people. He said, Timothy, preach the word. Peter on Pentecost, he preached the word. Amen. Because the Spirit of God will come down. It will convict those that hear it. If they allow it. People put up walls. Sometimes it takes them tearing down the wall, but they'll put up walls. Become callous like a callous upon a hand. But if they allow that, that conviction to fall upon them, then they'll begin to have second thoughts, afterthoughts about their life. Because a man will not, and I say this honestly, a man will not repent until something, until God's spirit provokes him. Until the word of God provokes him to think differently about the way he has lived. The Bible says no man comes to the Father except the spirit. Draw him. Something has to happen in order for there to be some thought process, afterthought, conviction to take place. The Bible says this just to, just to show that God brings repentance into our life, maybe by means of conviction. The Bible says in Acts eleven eighteen, then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. It says in 2 Timothy 2, 25, if God preventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. In other words, the spirit of God comes down. It causes the conviction. It causes the thought process to a person and brings them to a place where they can, if they will, repent. Now, look at this. Second, second Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. As some men count slackness, but is longsuffering to usward. Not willing that any should. What was the mandate in Luke? We see it a lot. Repent or perish. Not any should perish, but all should come to 
repentance. Now, when it's speaking about the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, those that Peter were addressing, he was addressing a group of people that was having some problems about Christ talking about he would come again, that he would return. Some had been warned with the idea that, well, the Lord's not keeping his promise. He hasn't come again yet. And so since they were warned with that, Peter wanted them to know, he wanted them to know, he says, what you interpret as God delaying is really about him being long-suffering. Uh-huh. We deal with it today. Oh, those churches say that God, Christ is coming back. Well, it's been several, several thousands of years since all of that happened. God has just made bad on his promises. He's not coming. Listen, what, you, what the world is saying is God not keeping his promises, really God being long-suffering. The reason being is he's not willing. If God is delaying his coming, he's doing it for one reason, and that's for humanity that have yet to turn around. Please don't misunderstand my God that because he's delaying, he's denying coming back. That's not the case. If he's delaying, it's his long suffering. It's his mercy. It's his grace that he's extended to those that have not yet. Because he don't want them to perish. They say it's a delay, but it's really just God being patient. He wants all to come. Mm -hmm. That's what it says. But that all should come to repentance. That word come there means to make room for something. So to give place to or receive it. He wants all to make room for repentance. He wants all to give place to or to receive repentance. Someone say amen. amen. So repentance, it's more than just an afterthought. It's a mental change. It's a mental change of attitude and the feelings. And yes, there may be remorse there and there may be tears there, but ultimately it's a change of mind that should impact our actions, the way that we live. Another good example of repentance played out in the New Testament is 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse number 9. The Bible says, For they themselves shew of us what manner of entering in we had unto you. And here it is. Here's how it's played out. How ye turned. There it is. How ye turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Amen. Repentance and what happens after repentance played out in the scripture. Matthew 3 verses 7 and 8. The Bible says, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism. This is John. He said unto them, O generation of vipers. That's pretty strong. Who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Bring forth, therefore, fruits, meat for repentance. Right? He said, you're coming out here to the baptism. Who told you to come out? You know, why are you here? Because he knew, he knew the lifestyle of the scribes and the Pharisees. He says, bring forth fruits, meat for repentance. The, the words bring forth mean do it now. Do it now. Urgently. Fruit. Now, what is fruit? Well, it might be an apple or orange on a tree. Well, great. Yeah, it might be. But basically, fruit is what's produced that others can see, that you can categorize something by. If I say it like this, fruit is what we produce that others see and categorizes us by the fruit. The Bible says, by bear fruit you shall. Right? He said, so urgently... Produce something that we can witness. That's meat. The idea of the word meat is having equal weight or worth that it's answerable to amendment of life. In other words, bring forth some product that answers to the fact that you have repented. Bring forth some proof or evidence that repentance has taken place. Well, if that's the case, then repentance is more than just a change of mind. It's more than just a change of mind. It's a change of lifestyle. Does that mean you got everything down pat, all the corners tucked in and every button buttoned up? No. But in its least form means that you've turned. 
least form, it means that you have turned. And that leads a little bit into next week when we start talking about baptism. He says, you've all come out here for baptism. He says, but what I want to know, how's your repentance? Huh? See, because if you've come for baptism, then you better have repented before you've been baptized. Amen. And so he's saying, where's this evident product, amen, that's equal in weight or worth to your repentance? Where's the fruit, amen, that indicates repentance? Because the fruit must mirror the life that is turning away from the old and embracing the new. Let me tell you what, what that, now I understand, please, no one just misunderstand me. I understand someone can come to this altar this morning. They can repent, amen. And by faith, I can believe that they have repented. They acknowledge, amen, that they've done unjustly against God and they can repent and they begin their turning process and then desire to want to be baptized. And I, I can almost fill it out sometimes if someone is sincere or insincere, if they're doing it for the right reason and the right purpose. And sometimes just asking to be baptized shows just that within itself that they're turning. All right. Amen. But let's say, let's say they came to an altar repentance and they didn't just get baptized in the same service. And then, five weeks later, they show up and say, I want to be baptized. Well, see, what's difficult for me is this. Was there true repentance because there should have been some turn? And the fruit that I should have seen was someone that wanted to be more faithful to God's house then. Okay. That's all right. More faithful to God. Huh? And here's a good indication People have all that happen. They get baptized and you don't see them again. Ever. You know what they had? They had a change of mind. But they never had a change of life. They never truly re- I'm sorry, I handed out some baptism certificates this morning. Thank God it did. But I still got others in the file that I made and I never given anybody because they've never showed back up. Somewhere you got to identify just as much as it was the Jew and the Gentile and everybody else. It was my hand as well that put him to the tree. It was my sin that placed him on the tree. It was my sin that caused the crown of thorns. It was my sin, the way that I live, that caused blood to come down his body and stripes to be put up on his back. It was me, it was me, it was me. God, what shall I do? He says, just turn around, turn around. You can't go back and undo that, but you can live differently from this point. Forward! No one can repent for you. No one can repent for you. God, by His Spirit, God, by His Word, can convict you, but you got to turn. Repentance is paralleled with the crucifix of Jesus Christ. This whole 238 plan is, is, is paralleled with the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So repentance is paralleled with the crucifix of Jesus Christ. We are, when we repent, in essence, dying to our old way of life. Now look, but just as in Jesus' crucifix... Those around him, in reality, could not take his life, okay? They couldn't kill him. They couldn't. He had to give. That's what the Bible says. He said he laid down his life, he'd take it up. He had to give his life. And likewise, in repentance that's similar to that crucifix, it can't be taken from you. You got to willingly give it up. Your old life. You got to willingly Give it up. And in that process of dying is that miracle of repentance. Again, we may not have it all together, but what we do realize and come to terms with is that our old way of living is not acceptable in the sight of God and that it even appalls God the way that we used to live. But we're turning around. Coming to a close today, if you'll stand with me this morning. Repentance is vital. It's important. It's essential. It is a must. Everybody needs to do it. 
It needs to be done now. It needs to be done. Ur it's urgent. It's sooner later, sooner now than later. It needs to be done sooner now, right now. We need to identify it. We need to have conviction move upon our heart to prompt that second afterthought. That would move our mode of thinking. You know, that wasn't right. I'm changing my thinking about that. And so it's going to influence the way in which I live my life. We need not minimize the importance of repentance. I get on Twitter and Facebook. Pastors all the time have pictures of them and the person they baptize. Or this one, however many got the Holy Ghost. You seldom ever hear anybody talk about who repented that day. I don't see no pictures of someone standing by and said, Joe repented today. But repentance is just as important as your baptism. Just as important as the infilling of the Holy Ghost. It is a package deal. It's just as important. Amen. The Bible even tells us in, in what is it, Luke 15, talking about the lost sheep, that whenever the shepherd went out and he found the lost sheep and he brought it back home, he said he was rejoicing. And the Bible tells us so likewise. There's all heaven. There's joy in heaven. When one sinner repents. It goes to the next story of the lost coin. She had ten pieces. She lost one, swept the house, found it. She was rejoicing. And then the Bible says, likewise, there's joy in the presence of angels when one sinner repents. And so it's setting us up in the story. We come to the lost son. He's away. He comes to himself. He's going to go to his father and say, I've sinned in your eyes. Look what he's doing. He's owning it. He's owning it. That's against my dad. That's against my, that's against my father. Hey, man, he's going to come back, tell him all these things. And the elder brother should have rejoiced. But he didn't. And his father said, boy, we should re be celebrating. We were making merry around here. Because why? Because your brother, which is lost, is now found. Amen. There has been a mode of repentance. It is necessary today. I guarantee you this. If you come to an altar of repentance today, there's going to be joy in heaven. There's going to be joy in the presence of angels. And I hope, unlike the elder brother, there's going to be joy in this earthly house today. Just because you made a turn. Just made a turn. Can we bow our heads in this place this morning? Amen. I want to pray here today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The church can just start praying here this morning. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.